Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I had a proud dad day the other day. Can I share that with you? So my son picked up basketball a couple years back. And, you know, you see your kids picking up a sport, and they're learning. They do things, and you see that progress. But I felt like there was a breakthrough just recently. Because, I mean, you, you know, the first year he's learning how to dribble. He's learning how to play. But you saw kind of the pattern of uh, the behavior. Because of, like, let's say, the insecurity. You get the ball, and immediately you pass it to someone else. But lately, in the past year, he, he's just grown exponentially. He's dribbling. He's passing. He's uh, scoring, right? So, so much so that, like, this past summer when I saw him play... Other, his former coaches went up to him and goes, man, you, you, I see you've been working on it, right? So, you know, we've seen that. But then because he's been sort of like the, the team lead and others are like looking up to him, he is the scorer, he's the leader. But this past week, and this has been a brand new season, and his team is, for some reason, they got good players. Not just my son, but his other friend, who's also a, like a star athlete. So those two playing together, I mean, they kind of dominated the other team. And I'm not saying that to brag or anyway. They, they were just really, really good. But they won by being good players, not working as a team. And so I had a little chat with my son, and I said, you know, if you guys learn to pass instead of being ball hogs. <laughs> if you guys learn to play as a team, you can take your team to another level. I, I shared that with him, and I kind of joked about it because he, the way he was playing even his uh, video game, I was like, man, you're playing video games just like you play on the field, like with such a ball hog, and then I, I joked around with him. And this past Saturday, th- just yesterday, the team's playing, and of course, his friend is doing well. He's doing well. But then I see him taking another step and passing. Not just passing to the strong players, but passing to the younger players, the inexperienced players. He's giving others the opportunity to rise up to their positions. It, it was a proud moment. you got to understand. Because he wasn't thinking about himself. Because I've seen their other games. I've seen where... Looked like they were competing against each other, not against the other team, of who can score more. Do you understand? But this game was, he was out to raise up his team members. And I was like, that's maturity. That's leadership. And I, I couldn't tell you how proud I am to see a character that says, it's not about me. It's about everyone around me to raising up their level. And, and that's what pastors do. This is what we do as pastors and uh, the pastors of the resting place. We, we say we have faith for everyone. So we empower everyone. We, have, we honor everyone. And we want to raise up you guys to rise to your identity, your calling, right? And we, we want to give you the opportunity. So when I see that in the younger generation, I'm like, there's hope, right? 
So that's my proud dad moment. But I say that because there is a team Jesus that we play for. This is the church that we seek to honor everyone, empower everyone, and have faith for everyone. That is our mission statement. That means we will do everything we can to be the church that God has called us to be. To equip the saints, not just the, the superstars who does all the work, but from the youngest to the oldest, to rise up, to be empowered, to grow in faith. And this couple weeks back, where these last few weeks, we celebrated our five-year birthday of our church, of the wrestling place. Uh, we have three campuses now in Carrollwood, uh, Wesley Chapel, and obviously the, our hub, the, the Tampa campus, where a lot of our activities happen. And so three weeks back, when we began, when we embarked on this um, new season, we said, we are the wrestling place. We are TRP. And this is where you see some awesome t-shirts. And so we gave out the shirt to say, we are, not I am. We are. It was to talk about the collective, who we are as a church. And that church, the call of our church, stems from Ephesians 2, where it says, uh, to consider his words that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. We looked at that Ephesians 2 to say, who are we as a church, as a dwelling place of God, that you were no longer strangers, aliens, but household, built together on the foundations. And we looked at what it means to be the dwelling place of God, and in the last week we, we said, um, you know, we are the house of prayer. God called his house a house of prayer. And we looked at the importance of what prayer means. We said last week that we are people of humility. Humility is a character attribute that is self-denying. It's to seek the honor of those around us, to raise them up. And sometimes we humble ourselves in a proper perspective so that we can serve and to forgive and to love those around us that maybe don't deserve it. But because Christ has died for them. Because Christ thinks you are to die for, for all. We humble ourselves to love. And this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus modeled the church. And to consider from the text that we have today, from Mark uh, 6.30, we're going to look at what it means to be the church. What, what, does, what does that look like? So if you have your Bibles, look with me to Mark 6.30. I'm going to read a short a um, couple of verses, 30 to 32, says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and re reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Uh, to give you a little context of this, they're ready to feed the 5,000. That's the text. But if you look at the verses or the chapter earlier, Jesus has sent the 12 
on the short-term mission trip, if you guys remember. It's the 12 disciples, and he sent them two by two to the, uh, the nearby towns to go and, and to preach and to teach and to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And the disciples came back, and they were excited. They told Jesus all that they had seen and done. If you can imagine, like you go, like Jesus empowers you. You go, and you come back having seen the miracles, having healed the sick having delivered the, the demon-possessed people, you come back and you're excited. You tell your rabbi, your teacher, right, what all that you have seen. But in the midst of all of that was this people coming in and out, busyness, crowds. And Jesus says, let's go someplace quiet, just you and I, so that we can get some rest. Jesus invited his disciples, his missionaries, to come away with him to a quiet place to get some rest. He invited his disciples to come away with him in that intimate connection time, apart from the busy crowds. When we consider who we are as the resting place, who we are as a church, we are called to be a people of intimate connections. People of intimate connections. People who are intimately connected with Jesus and intimately connected with one another. That's a church. We're going to elaborate from this. Biblically speaking, why we believe that we as a resting place are called to be a people intimately connected with God and intimately connected with one another. And I want you to know that, you know, it's, it shouldn't be new, but it may be new to you. I, I don't know if you guys ever seen uh, the, the show Chosen. You guys seen that? I think it's on Amazon, Netflix. I think it's on, it, it's everywhere now. But it's, it's gospel of Jesus, but it's like shown and what I like about it is, uh, you know, when I teach, you guys have heard me preach. When I talk about something, I give you the context. I give you the backdrop so you can have a full picture. But you see the drama unfold, and they write the script to give you the context. They write the words of kind of the feel of their, what these um, disciples or the people have suffered and, and experienced so when Jesus comes along and, and said the things in the Bible, it, it gives the proper context, and you're like, ah, it, it's a full picture. But what I love is that when Jesus walked, he broke, like flipped the establishments of the religion. You guys know that? Like the religious teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers, they had their expectations of what a synagogue, what Jews were supposed to be like. You stay away from the, the sinners. You keep yourself clean. You do the right thing. And Jesus comes along and just breaks all of that expectations. I love it. You got to watch it. Because he blows away the expectations of the religious. And, he, and then he, he shows in the action what's really important. 
Like, it's not about the following of the law. It's about you. What was important to God, what was important to Jesus was the people, the sinners, the wicked, the, the rejected, those who were not allowed to come to the synagogue because where they've been, what they have done. Jesus brings them all, restores their identity, restores their love, restores that. They are valuable. I, oh, I loved it. You got to see it. Anyways, it's an endorsement. It, it's safe for your kids too. Okay. Um, and I don't say that about a lot of things. I, I learned to just keep my mouth shut about movies because I said one time I, uh, I think it was when Superman came out, I was like, oh, there were so many parallels of the Holy Spirit and the Father and this and that. And, and, and I had a dad who goes, oh, that sounds good. I'll take my kids. And, and he comes back and goes, that was kind of violent. <laughs> like, I didn't think that it was, but, you know. So I'm more careful to say what you can and cannot watch with your kids. Um, but what was important to God is the people. Jesus called on the 12, not because of their good behavior, not because they were more worthy. He called on the 12 because he saw their hearts because they wanted the Messiah, the prophesied Christ. They wanted the fulfillment of God's word. They wanted to see the next king of the Jews rise and, and deliver them. And, and he called the 12. He empowered them. He sent them. And, and, but how did he empower these disciples? And we see that he did it with intimate connections. Here's a model that Jesus demonstrated. In the midst of his busy schedule and the crowds and his uh, long list of itineraries and workshops that people were coming to from by the thousands, like this, if this was modern day 21st century, his conference and retreats would be publicized and thousands would come from all over to see Jesus, right? And yet in the midst of that heavy speaking engagements, he would get away by himself to spend with God, the Father. He would go in prayer. And we see in Luke 5, 15, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And this is something that his disciples didn't even understand. It's like, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus would get away to go and pray with the Father. Why? Because Jesus said, Everything I do, I see the Father do. Everything I speak, I hear the Father speak. It's his ministry stemmed from his intimate connection with the Father. And from what he has seen, from the relationship with the Father, he showed it to the disciples. What he received from the Father, from the intimate connection with his father, he showed that intimate connection with the disciples. Vertical, horizontal. Jesus, you know, healed so many people and so many crowds followed him. In a time, especially today, when fame seems like everybody wants it, you know, 
Anybody who has a TikTok and Instagram or Facebook, like, you want followers? <laughs> you want thousands and hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, and people want? Jesus didn't care about all of that. In fact, he would shun, he would tell people, don't tell anyone. In fact, those who spread about his fame hindered his ministry. So Jesus wasn't about the crowd or the followers who followed from a distance. He was about intimate connections with the disciples who he empowered in the intimate connections, and they were sent forth from that, not through the thousands. Everything Jesus did was from the intimate connection with the Father. John 5, 19 says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So this is the model that Jesus showed. I have intimate connection with the Father. I show intimate connection with you. And then after he demonstrated that, he taught the disciples, if you remain in me, my connection with you, then you will be able to do. Uh, John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus remained in the Father. And Jesus showed it, which is witnessing. And then Jesus showed it to the disciples. And the early church was at birth from this model. You guys understand this? Jesus received from the Father he empowered the disciples, and then when Jesus rose, ascended back to heaven, he gave his Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, it's the Holy Spirit that spread and empowered their communities. And they experienced the intimate connection with one another. Okay. I hope you guys get this because I'm moving along here. But I want you to get the concept. It's modeled from the Father to Jesus, Jesus to the disciples, from the disciples to the church. Acts 2, 42 and following. This is right after the Pentecost happened. This is right after the, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. Peter preached in, in, in the public. Thousands came to the Lord. But here's what the church did after. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I want you to bring that verse back up. It's not there? Oh, I read all that. It wasn't there? What happened? I remember loading it. I apologize. That's weird. Because I did load it up there. 
I did reboot the computer right after, so I'm thinking it did not get saved. Darn. Okay. I spent a lot of time for you guys. <laughs> All right. So be good listeners. Be good listeners. I want you to bring your attention to um, verse 42 where they said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the fellowship. You know, in the church today, we throw around that word fellowship a lot. Like with every cup of coffee that we serve. Right? <laughs> like every pie, every, every food. Uh, would you like to have fellowship? We'll join our fellowship. And often the fellowship means we have some food, which I love. But just because you serve food doesn't mean we have fellowship. You guys understand? So I don't want to be careless with a word being synonymous with hanging out with food. The word fellowship is koinonia in the Greek, and that word means to um, fellowship or sharing with someone of something. It's a relationship where people share some common interest, something common. There's a common denominator that comes together. Koinos is the word fellow. The, the root word of koinonia is fellow. It's a person. It's when the, the act of bringing the persons together. That's fellowship. Theologically speaking, the biblical fellowship is when the fellows, the people, like you and me, come together, and it's the Holy Spirit. That's the common denominator. You guys understand? What is that common thing that brings people together? For the church, it's the Holy Spirit. Fellowship began after the birth of the church. The fellowship began after the Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was given. And people experienced fellowship. How is that different from hanging out with somebody that you like? Well, people you like, you can hang out without the Holy Spirit. You can just share about football you can share about your common interests. You can have fellowship in a secular way that is not biblical fellowship. But true biblical fellowship is when God's Holy Spirit is at the very center that sandwiches that relationship. I, my kids, when they were little, I would say, ah, oh, I would. One kid come and I would hug, and the other kid would come behind me and go, Daddy, hug. That's the fellowship. You guys understand? Where God is at the center and we hug one another with God's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit hug. Yeah, I like that one. So fellowship is the kind of relationship when you have it, you know it. it, it this is hard to describe. You can have good friendship. You can have good hangout. But just because they come from church doesn't mean we have fellowship. Fellowship happens when you talk with somebody, even first time. But when there's this peace of God there, and you know it, and your heart is drawn to one another, you know you're having fellowship. And there was no coffee involved, which blows my mind. But <laughs> you can have fellowship because the Holy Spirit is a spirit that we drink from that joins us together. So, as a church, the resting place, 
what does it mean for us to be a the church of intimate connections? What does that mean? Does that mean we should have more get-together at Matthews and Roberto's? I mean, which we love, but that's not what we're talking about. To be a church that has intimate connection with God and intimate connection with one another means that we have to believe in it and we have to own it. We have to really believe that there is value in the church. In the past three years, and you guys probably have witnessed this, especially here in Florida and across the country, with the introduction of this one virus has changed the face of the church around the world. I wish I wasn't making this up, but because of this virus, people were in so fear, and the government said they were trying to protect us. They said, you cannot meet. You cannot have church. You cannot gather to worship your God. You cannot sing. If you're going to meet, then you can't sing. Because why? Projection of you guys remember reading all of this? I wish I was making it up. But they, pastors and churches were being arrested for meeting on Sunday mornings. It was ridiculous. What was another ridiculous? It wasn't just the government. It was the people, the church people, who were cursing out other churches who, were, who decided to meet. They were cursing other people who decided that they're going to worship God, to praise God, to give him the glory. I wish I wasn't making this up. But it was craziness in the last three years. So what did they argue for? And please allow me to say I'm not downplaying what coronavirus did. I had it. I think Jimmy had it. There were some scary moments that our members, myself included, endured, experienced, and we have seen people die from this, personally. So I'm not downplaying that. But what I'm saying is, this fear reveals something so deep within the church that has pre-existed. You guys understand? It pre-existed the coronavirus, but the coronavirus and what it did to the culture brought up to surface that which existed. That is what the Bible says versus what your opinion says matters. What you think of the church versus what you think about God. It really surfaced our value system in the way we lived. Because people just stopped. They stopped coming to church. They stopped being part of the communities. They stopped whatever they said that they were part of. I mean, they said, oh, we will listen to the sermon online. But then if they went from saying that they will listen, but then you hear that they really didn't listen, right? Hey, truth comes, always comes up. They would say they will listen online, but they didn't listen. But if they're going to listen online, they can listen to any services. 
So if they listen to any services, any preacher online, why should I support, be part of this church? And if I can, if it's okay, if it's all about just listening to a sermon online, then I can worship by myself. Why do I really need the church? Even when the church reopened, what did people do? They used that as an excuse. I can worship God by myself at home because that's what I've been doing for the last two years, and that's what I'll keep doing. I don't need to be part of any community because I am my own church. I can have it online. You guys see how this logic played out where people said, I don't need the church. And it became this all-consumer, self-centered mindset, and it wasn't biblical church. And I can hear some of you guys might be thinking, um, you know, I can have church by myself whenever I want. You know, I have my faith. It's a personal thing. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, mean, I don't want to say that, hey, I'm not pushing, first of all, for you to religiously attend any in religious institute because it's the law. It leads to salvation. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not pushing that agenda. But I'm saying if you have been saved, if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you want his church, the bride that he died for. If you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord, you want what he wants you to have, and that is his church who has intimate connection and he is intimately connected. He has empowered his servants, the teachers, the preachers. He has empowered the servants to raise you up, to empower you, to love you, to be there for you. He has died for the church. He is coming back for the church. He's bride. And for us to say very loosely, oh, I can do it by myself, that is some egotistical arrogance. Really. To say, okay, it's about just me and God, but what, what about the rest of the Bible? What about the church that he said he would take up? Are you part of that? This cultural shift because of the single virus brought to surface what's really at the heart of the people. And we have become consumer Christians, consumer church where people have looked for a place because of what they want, what they can benefit. I want a good sermon. I want a good cup of coffee. I want good music. I want good, whatever benefits. And I remember, and I, don't get me wrong, I've been there. You know, when I was a single, I was like, do they have a good singles ministry? Are there cute girls there? I, come on. Those were the things I was looking for. I'm being very honest. We have our, sorry, sorry, my love. <laughs> this was when I was long and lost and, you know, I didn't have this beautiful wife. So, anyways. <laughs> A long time ago, thank you. God has redeemed that. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the church is not a buffet for you to a la carte pick and choose. It is the menu that the Lord has provided and said, this is it. This is my offering for you. As the resting place, we look and ask, what does it mean to be the resting place? And it says Ephesians 2.19. We don't have that still? 
Actually, that was from the last week's message too. 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That means outsiders. Those who were excluded. But you are fellow citizens. Insider. With the saints and members of the household of God. Family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure you are not the whole church. You are a brick of the structure. You play one piece of the puzzle of the whole structure that God has ordained as a church and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are being built up. You are being raised up. That's a present, active thing happening is you are being built up. That is our New Testament church. That is the resting place. You were an outsider, but you're an insider. I don't care where you've been. You've been looking and trying to look for a part of a community and wondering. But I'm saying you are not an outsider. You are an insider. If you want to be part of this church, you are an insider because it's the heart of Jesus. It is because of his Holy Spirit who empowers you, who enables us to be one through the intimate connections of the Holy Spirit. It is not enough for us to have faith in Christ, but to be part of the bigger picture of his household. We have to be part of God's team, not individual sport. You know, I, I will confess that... Um, I like football, so I'm glad the football season started. I'm granted it's in the preseason, but, um, but yeah, there's nothing more entertaining than watching football. So I, I, I say that I'm grateful. I don't know what, how our team, the Buccaneers, are going to be this year, especially in this uh, revamping, restructuring stage. But I do know that when we are, the beauty of watching football is that when we watch, let's say, Sunday afternoon and watch a game, did you know that there are people all around the world, all across the country, watching and cheering for the same team? Which is beautiful if you think about it. I don't know if you ever thought, think of it that way. You have screens, you have people in the stands and out of the stands, in the living rooms, on offices, or wherever, large screens, small screen, you know, monitors. Yeah. But we, when we watch, we aim for the same goal. And when we aim for the same goal and the, the achieve, we can cheer together, yell together, don't curse together, but, you know, we proclaim in unison of what we see our team do. Right? which is a beautiful thing. But let me bring to your attention that after the game is done, we go our separate ways and do our own thing. People go back to their work schedule, kids go back to their school schedule, and, you know, the requirements, the family, whatever our responsibility is, we go back to our normal living. None of us get muddied or tackled bruised 
when it's over, it's over. We were spectators. We were not players. Jesus has many fans. But he has fewer members who are part of his Jesus team. There are those who get down and dirty to do his mission work. It's so easy for the spectators who are watching from the screen to yell, why didn't you do that? When they didn't have to face the 350-pound opponent trying to clobber them. It's so easy for us to criticize they missed the play or they failed to do that, questioning the coach, questioning the plays when we are not on the field as spectators. Jesus has a lot of fans who follow from a distance, who refuse the inconvenience of getting dirty with them. The question we must ask ourselves is whether we are Jesus' fans or disciples who follow. And when I say follow, I'm not talking Instagram, Facebook. We're talking followers as disciples who walk the walk of Jesus. Who follow the coach, who are part of the team, who are part of the greater mission who hear directly from the coach, directly from the Lord, and say, I am with you, do this. You guys see the difference? And I can tell you that team can only be a team if we play like a team. In this church, I don't want to see superstars doing everything. I see some of you guys so anointed, so empowered, so glorious that God's presence is over you. From your knowledge, from your speaking, from your prayers, oh, I see anointed people. I'm not discounting any of that. But the glory of the church is when you rise and empower others. The glory of the church is when you rise and raise up the young in faith to be to share in the glory, to pass so they can receive, so they can score, and they can receive the praise that there is a team of Jesus who get down and dirty, who fight for it, and it's worth it. It's worthy, it's worth it, it's worth the effort. But too many people in our culture, in the 21st century American church, they use the coronavirus, they use the culture, they use whatever excuses to say, I will be spectator and I can do whatever I want. People who say I can do whatever I want are not following the scripture. And that's, it's not biblical. It's not God's word. You're doing your own thing. You are not part of the team. And that's not who we are. So what does it mean to have intimate connection with God and intimate connection with one another? It means humility where we position ourselves to be in intimate connections. 
That sounds so obvious. But can I tell you how hard that is for some of you guys? Because for you to have intimate connection means you need to hold yourself accountable to someone else. To have intimate connection is that you position yourself to have the intimate connection, to ask for prayer when you need prayer. You know what that means? You have to ask somebody for prayer. Some of you guys, that's the hardest thing for you to do. Because we have prayer team, uh, you know, at the end of the service every Sunday. And how many of you guys have had a conversation in the hallway, talk about some problem, like, I need prayer. Like, did you go to the prayer team? No. And Kathy's laughing because I had that very uh, same thing. It's like, did you have prayer? No. I grabbed her hand. It's like, come to the prayer team. The prayer team prayed for her. And then she talked about it for weeks on the end because God did something amazing that Sunday. To have intimate connection is to say, you position yourself to be in there humbling, holding yourself accountable to others. That's hard. I have a hard time doing that. Asking for help, which is hard to do. And, and trust me, I know, because I'm from D.C. We trust no one. <laughs> oh, yeah, if I have to explain that, then you, don't, you have no idea. D.C. culture was cutthroat. Everybody's from themselves. And my first thing my mentor told me in, in, in the business I was in, trust no one. And I got hurt when I trusted somebody. Oh, trusting somebody is the hardest thing. But to have intimate connection with anyone else, that means you have to trust somebody. You have to be vulnerable. You have to ask for help. You have to share about your brokenness. Oh, it's hard. And I was thinking, why is it so hard for some people? Because one, if we confess, it leaves us so vulnerable. And sometimes our insecurities get in the way. What if I get rejected? What if I'm not liked? What if they see how broken I really am and they would reject me? They don't like me. Or sometimes the the evil spirits, the lying spirits that says, you're not worthy. They don't like you. It's hard to overcome that because the value of the intimate connection, fellowship with the community of faith is that we hold ourselves to something greater than ourselves. To be part of a team to be part of a family, it's so vulnerable. And I have seen so many people jump from one church to the next, and they're shopping and hoping that somebody reaches out to them because they don't want to reach out to them because that's so vulnerable. It's like when you ask, when you ask others for help and you get rejected or you don't get the response that you thought you were hoping for, it hurts. And people leave. And it wasn't based on truth of how people really felt. It's based on a lie or insecurity. I've seen that pattern many times in our church and other churches I have served. Based on complete lies. 
or incorrect facts. And that's what we have to recognize, the difficulty in having that intimate connection. But the intimate connection is what we need with God and with one another. That's the only way we're going to have the true biblical church. That's the only way. And we as the resting place church are going to aim for that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But when we are connected with the Lord in his spirit and with one another in fellowship, there will be fruit. I promise you, there will be fruit. And it will be better than you will ever imagine. Because when the true church of Jesus Christ happens, God's mission is carried out. And where there's the Lord, oh my gosh, it would be good. I promise you it would be good. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.